Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm John Cook. I'm a retired Baptist preacher with over 50 years in the ministry of teaching and preaching the King James Bible, God's Holy Word. The purpose of this podcast is to present the Word of God as being just as relevant today as it was in the day that it was written. Today, I'm going to take you into my Sunday school class at the Faith Baptist Church in Riverside, California, where we are studying the book of Philippians due to technical difficulties. Technical difficulties being that I lost the recording from the Sunday school lesson. I am re-recording that lesson for our podcast today. So let's get right into it. We come today to lesson number two. This is in our study of the book of Philippians. I'm going to show you what God's word says concerning what we are, what offices there are to be in the church, what gifts God has given to us, and what God wants us to be prepared for. In addition, what we are to rejoice in. So let's get right into the lesson. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 1, the scripture says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Notice that he calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Christian, we are the servants of Jesus Christ. You think about what a great privilege that is. That God, the God of the universe, the one who loved us and gave himself for us, could get along without us, but he chose to save us. And not only did he choose to save us, but he chose to use us in his service. The scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the exceeding greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We're just earthen vessels. We're nothing special. But God makes us special because we read again in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 and verse 21. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth and some unto honor and some unto dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified, meet for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. This is what we're told we should do, is prepare ourselves to be vessels unto honor to the service of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we get the big head thinking we're something special, but we're just earthen vessels. We're nothing special. The scripture tells us that Paul was given a thorn in the flesh to remind him that he was just an earthen vessel. We read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, where the scripture says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. That's quite a statement. If the Apostle Paul had to be guarded by the Lord from getting too 
proud of himself, certainly it would be true of us because we are weak earthen vessels. We're but vessels of flesh. We're nothing special. We're just someone that the Lord chose to save and to use us in his service. This position, being a servant of Jesus Christ, is a chosen position. It's not a forced upon us position, much like the servant that's spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 16 through 17, where we read, And it shall be, if he say unto thee, I will not go away from thee. He's being set free from his servitude. But he says, I will not go away from thee, because he loveth thee and thine house, because he is well with thee. Then thou shalt take an awl and thrust it through his ear unto the door, and he shall be thy servant forever. And also unto thy maidservant thou shalt do likewise. This was a picture of a servant who chose to remain with his master, even when it was possible for him to go out free. But he, out of love to his master, says, I don't want to leave, I want to stay. He chose the position of being a servant. When we consider what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, we certainly should be like this servant and say, out of love to the Savior, I don't want to depart. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to be a servant of the Lord. It is also a position that we were bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ, by his blood, where we are now the servants of the Lord by virtue of the fact that he loved us and gave himself for us. But in heaven, we shall be declared to be the children of God. We're awaiting that revelation. First John chapter 3 and verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We are awaiting that day when we are going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to see him declare us to be his sons. We are awaiting that declaration of our adoption, the completion of our adoption. Romans chapter 8 verse 23 speaks to this. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. This will take place in heaven and will be a glorious time. This is an adoption that is preordained, foreordained by God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we read about it. it says, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Christian, we're servants today. We're servants to Jesus Christ. But in that day, we will be declared sons, sons of God. And what a glorious time that's going to be. And this is what God has saved us and redeemed us for. And this is why we should serve him today and serve him gladly. We said that getting the big head is a dangerous thing. We said that getting the big head is something we should never do because we're just earthen vessels. But sometimes we tend to get the big head. We tend to believe that we're something that we're not. Nebuchadnezzar got the big head. Daniel chapter 4 and verse 30 said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built? God decided he was going to show him who built what. And so he put, literally put Nebuchadnezzar out to pasture. In verse 37 of Daniel chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar says, Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able, he is able to abase. There's a fellow in the book of Luke, chapter 18. He's in the temple. He sees the publican praying next to him, and he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like this publican. He exalts himself. The publican doesn't even look up toward heaven, but says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God says in verse 14, And I say unto you, this man went down to his house justified. That's the publican, rather than the man who exalted himself. Here's what God says about the man who exalted himself. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be humbled. But he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. If we take the position of servant today, we look forward to the day when the Lord is going to exalt us. Because he has a foreordained plan to exalt us. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. God's plan for us is for us to be kings and priests unto him forever. There were some folks in the church in Corinth who thought they'd already attained that position. Paul speaks of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, where he says, Already are ye filled, already ye are become rich. Ye have come to reign without us. He says, Yea, and I would that ye did reign, that we also might reign with you. You see, they thought they were kings already. But today we're servants to Jesus Christ. We are today serving him on this earth as a testimony before the lost man of what a Christian is to the Savior. Now, as we return to verse 
1 of chapter 1 of Philippians, we see that Paul not only speaks of the servants of Jesus Christ, but he says to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi. This term saints is a term that is used by religion. We find somebody who's dead and make a saint out of him. See, it's a lot easier to make a dead man a saint than it is to make a living man a saint. Because we as living human beings mess up an awful lot. Nevertheless, the fact that we have been bought and paid for by the Lord Jesus Christ, we are now saints unto God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 2, we find, Unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. He says, these that are sanctified in Christ Jesus are called to be saints. He also says that this applies to all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. We're all called to be saints. We're called to live sanctified lives for the Savior. Notice also in Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, the scripture says, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our calling. We're called to be saints. We're to live for the Savior. We are to glorify the Savior and live sanctified lives. Saints are sanctified to the Lord. That word sanctified means that they're set apart unto the Savior. The definition says that sanctified means we've been made holy. We've been consecrated, set apart for sacred service. This is just like Aaron in the Old Testament and his sons that were the priests. They were consecrated unto the Lord. They were set apart for holy service in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. So as sanctified ones, that means we're set apart unto God. We're set apart for the Lord's service. That's why we read in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, where we're told to present our bodies a living sacrifice unto God. And it says, holy, that's sanctified, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It just stands to reason that if we're sanctified unto the Savior, by the Savior, then we are to live for the Savior. Give him what belongs to him, our bodies. We're not to be conformed to this world, verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 tells us, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is living as saints for the Lord. This is being what God intends us to be. We're set apart to the Lord for his service, and we're made holy by the Savior. John chapter 17 and verse 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We are sanctified by the word of God. This is why it says 
We are to get into the word of God and study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Second Timothy chapter two and verse 15 tells us. So we are sanctified ones. We are set apart unto God. We're called to be saints and we're to live as becometh saints, according to Ephesians chapter five and verse three. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27 says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So it's living as becometh saints, as becometh the gospel of Christ. We have been set apart unto the gospel of Christ. We are to live as becometh saints in this world. This then brings us back to verse 1 of Philippians chapter 1. And there the final part of that verse says, with the bishops and deacons. There are but two offices in the church, bishops and deacons. The bishop is not what bishops are today. Bishops today are made by denominational headquarters to oversee all of the churches in their domain, so to speak. But at the bishop in this passage of scripture is the pastor of the church. He's also called an elder. These are the titles that are given. They are titles to the same service. They describe our work. A bishop is an overseer, a spiritual superintendent, the definition says. His job is to oversee the work of the Lord in that local church. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1 tells us that if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. This is a position of labor, laboring for the Lord, overseeing his church. Because it is his church. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, I will build my church. The bishop is the pastor or elder of the church. And he must be blameless. Timothy tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 2. The husband of one wife. By the way, that does away with women preachers right there. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice. That does away with taking somebody who's a new Christian and putting them in the ministry lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. This is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. This is the, the outline of what the pastor is to be or what the bishop is to be. Not only is he called a, a bishop, he's called an elder, which deals with his maturity, his conduct in the services of the church. 
Acts chapter 11 and verse 30 says, which also they did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So these were the pastors of the church. And the term pastor is a term that is used in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, where the scripture says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. By the way, that last part, and some pastors and teachers, that's the pastor. He's to be a teacher too for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. This is the positions, the titles that the pastor holds. He's a pastor, and as a pastor, he's to be a teacher to the church also. He is to feed the church of God. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, it says, Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So here he's a pastor, a shepherd. His job is to feed the flock, to feed the church. And, and that's the responsibility of the pastor. The bishop oversees the church. That's the responsibility of the pastor. The elder is to show maturity to the church. And that's the responsibility of a pastor. So these are interchangeable words. These are all words that deal with the same office. There are no other offices given in the Bible than the office of the pastor or bishops and deacons. This term deacons, this is a term that a lot of men don't realize that this is a spiritual term for a spiritual office. In fact, the deacon is so closely connected to the pastor. Listen to the requirements of a deacon. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 8 says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre, holding the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience. And let these also first be proved. Then let them use the office of a deacon being found blameless. Even so must the wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For they that have used the office of a deacon well purchased to themselves a good degree and a great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. The first time deacons are introduced into the church is found in the book of Acts chapter 6. This was when there was a murmuring among the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. So the twelve called the multitude of the disciples together, and they said, uh, it's not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve table. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. This business was to wait on tables was to take care of the widows. We find that they were brought before the apostles. The apostles prayed on them and laid their hands on them. 
And the Bible says the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Deacons doing their job benefit the church and benefit the Lord's ministry in this world. It's not a lowly office. It's an important office, an office that is important to the spirituality and the physical care of those in the church, especially the widows. Now come back to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord has given us a twofold gift, grace and peace. They come from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is God giving to us what we don't deserve. Or better still, it's God not giving to us what we do deserve. The first mention of this word grace in Scripture in the Old Testament was in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, where it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, God gave Noah the command to prepare an ark, and that ark was to the saving of his family. This grace comes through the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. John chapter 1 and verse 15 and 16, John the Baptist speaks. It says, John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace. By the Lord Jesus Christ, we get grace from God. This is a wonderful gift. The songwriter wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. It is amazing grace. We are saved by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We have nothing to boast about in our flesh, but we can certainly boast about the Lord. We can brag on the Lord because the Lord by his grace, has saved us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 11 and verse 6, if it's by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then is it no more grace? Otherwise, work is no more work. So we've got the grace of God and peace. Peace is what the Lord gives to every born-again believer. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Before we got saved, we were at enmity with God. We were the enemies of God. But now we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Savior is our peace. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 14 through 16 tells us. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, 
even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby. So our peace, the peace we have, comes from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our peace is found in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why this world will never find peace. The world looks for peace. They talk about peace. They're always searching for it, but they're always looking in the wrong place. And they're never going to find peace because God says in his word, there is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. Listen, if you want real peace, then come and find the grace of God and the peace of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Outside of the Savior, there's no peace. Then we notice in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. This shows prayer with thanksgiving for the babies that God gave to the Apostle Paul. Babies are exactly what new Christians are. New Christians are babies in the Lord. John chapter 1 verse 12 and verse 13 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. They're just babies. They were born of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. The problem with babies is they have to grow up. And Paul says they're still carnal. Tragedy is, is when babies don't grow up. And a lot of baby Christians never seem to grow up. And Paul was speaking of that in Corinth when he said that they were carnal, just like babies in Christ. But the thing that causes us to grow is first and foremost the sincere milk of the word. We're to have a desire for the sincere milk of the word. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. The purpose of the scripture is to help us to grow up in the Lord. We're to go on from the sincere milk of the word to eating meat, the meat of the word, getting into things that are deeper yet. Paul says of the Corinthian believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. They were still babies. They hadn't gone beyond the sincere milk of the word. These are like unto those spoken of in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, where the scripture says, For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Verse 14 tells us that strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil, to graduate from 
The milk of the word to strong meat means you have to exercise your senses. You have to get in and study the word of God and find out what the Bible says to us as Christians and go on and get deeper into what God says in his word. This brings us back to verse 4 of Philippians chapter 1. It says, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. And when we pray, we should be praying for other believers, for other born-again believers, other Christians. We should remember those that the Lord has blessed us in allowing us to lead them to Christ and especially pray for them. What are we to pray for them? Well, we're to pray for the salvation of souls as there is joy in heaven. See, if you want to have joy among believers, you've got to get busy and get rejoicing about what God rejoices about. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, we're told what God rejoices about. It says, Likewise, I say unto you that there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You see, when somebody gets saved, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. That indicates that God is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God for that one sinner that repents. Not only is there joy for newborn again believers, but there's joy because they're new babies in the family. Babies bring joy to the family. They change the whole flavor of the family. But they're a joy to see, to be around, and just to have the opportunity to watch as they grow up and then see them go on in service for God. Joy is the key word of the book of Philippians. Now look at verse 5 of Philippians chapter 1. It says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. This church started right, and they stayed right. They didn't get taken away by false doctrines. You know, it's a real joy to see churches that start right and go on and stay right. It's a joy to see the Lord allow us to have a part in establishing these kind of churches. In 3 John chapter 1 and verse 4, we read, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. What a joy it is to watch our kids behave themselves, to watch our kids grow up and make us proud in their behavior. We love to brag on our kids. We love to tell about what the, what the Lord's doing through their lives. We love to tell about their accomplishments. I know with my children, I always love to hear how great workers they are. Because I often say that I may not have done everything right, but one thing I did teach my kids to do was to be good workers. We like to brag on our children. But don't you think we ought to brag on the Lord's children? Don't you think it's a great thing to look at the churches that the Lord has allowed us to have a part in? Those that we've had a part in and winning to Christ and watching them grow up and being able to just say, look what the Lord's doing with them. That's truly a real part of our lives and should be a real part of our lives. Then look at verse 6 of Philippians chapter 1. It says, being confident of this very thing, 
that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We know that what the Lord starts, he completes. The Lord doesn't start something and then not complete it. He's begun a good work in us. And he's going to perform that good work in us until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to perform that good work. It's him that's doing the work in us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, Who hath also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Think about that. He which hath begun a good work in us speaks to the fact that we have eternal security. And then 2 Corinthians speaks to the fact of the truth that we are sealed unto the day of redemption. And then 2 Corinthians 1.21 speaks to the fact that God has sealed us and that that sealing is testified by the fact that we have been given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. You see, when we got saved, we put our trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And at that instant of time, we were sealed by that Holy Spirit of promise. The Comforter is now sealing us. And the Bible tells us that that gives us our eternal security. In Ephesians 4 and verse 30, the scripture says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. That, by the way, tells us the Holy Spirit is a person, not just a force in our lives. For he can be grieved by what we do. And sin in our lives grieves the Holy Spirit. Unbelief in our lives grieves the Holy Spirit. And we're told not to grieve the Holy Spirit. So God completes the work He starts. He does nothing halfway. He doesn't start a work and then stop. He doesn't stop the work until He completes it. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27 tells us that He might present it to Himself a glorious church. He's talking about the church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that it should be holy and without blemish. See, the Lord started his church. He set it apart unto himself. And he's working to clean up his church. And he's going to continue to work until he presents it to himself without spot and without wrinkle. Now, what's the effect of this sealing in our Christian life? Well, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. If we're looking for the coming of the Lord, we're looking for that day when we will be declared by him to be without spot and without blemish, then we should be living for him today that we may have the peace in our hearts that when we stand before him, we will be blameless because we've, we no longer are sold out to our sin, but we're sold out to the Savior. In verse 7 of Philippians, 
chapter 1, it says, Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. Paul here is rejoicing the grace that we share in through the trials of our Christian life. He's rejoicing that these have stood by him and that they have not given up in the face of the trials and difficulties that they have come up against in their Christian life. This was just the outcome of what he knew in his heart concerning the Philippian believers. He knew the Lord would continue to work in their hearts. Now, that word meet is defined as being fitting. It fits in place. It fits the work of the Lord in the believer. The fact that the Lord continues to work in us and the fact that we go on to serve the Savior even in spite of the difficulties we face in our Christian life, that's just fitting through the work of the Lord in the believer. The promise that the Lord gives us today is that He is going to continue that work in us, that He is going to complete that work in us, and that He is going to fulfill that work in us. In verse 8, Paul says, For God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Does God see this kind of longing in our lives? Do we long after the fellowship with other believers, especially the babes that the Lord has given us? Do we long to fellowship with them, to help them, to be there, to help them grow in the Lord? Our prayer concerning this longing should be like Job's prayer for deliverance. Listen to what he says in Job chapter 6 and verse 8. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would grant me the thing that I long after. You see, this is a prayer request that God would give us what we long after. And the thing we're longing after is the fellowship of other Christians, but especially the fellowship of the new Christians that God has given us the opportunity of bringing them to the Savior. So what we've seen in our study of Philippians chapter 1 verses 1 through 8 is what we are. We are saints in the Savior. We've seen what the offices in the local church are. And there are only two, pastors and deacons, or bishops and deacons, or elders and deacons. I say only two because pastors, elders, and bishops are synonymous one to the other. We've seen that God wants us to be prepared for the suffering we're going to face in our service for Him. And we've seen that we are to rejoice in the suffering for the Savior, but rejoice in the fellowship we have with other believers. Now in our next lesson, lesson number three, we're going to look at Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. So make sure and join us for our next lesson. Till then, God bless. Hey, this is John Cook again. I want to thank you for joining us in our podcast on the book of Philippians. 
If you live in the Riverside, California area, I want to give you a personal invitation to visit the Faith Baptist Church, where our pastor, Nathan Cook, preaches the Word of God from the King James Bible. Now, before you go today, how about leave us a comment or a prayer request? Or what question do you have? Write it in the comments section and we'll look at it. We'll pray for the prayer request. Look at the questions you have and try to answer them. And we really appreciate your comments. By the way, please take the opportunity to subscribe to our podcast. And that way you'll get the next lesson just as soon as it is released. Well, so long for now. See you in our next Sunday School lesson on the book of Philippians. God bless all that are in Jesus Christ, our Lord.